0: You are listening to Sejura Decoding Law Podcast. I am Phyllis Schuster, the Chief Team Intelligence Officer of Sejura,
1: And I am Genevieve Dubois, the Chief Marketing and Innovation
0: Officer of Sejura. And, and just, just like, like you, we, we are lawyers. lawyers. Together, we will decode the secrets of legal services by having frank conversations about what clients really want in legal services so that you can be a happy and successful lawyer. Let's get started. Hi there, and welcome to C-Jura, Decoding Law. Uh, last week, we talked about the legal industry and the how it stands today and how we got here from the past and, and the current. And today, we want to talk about the future and the biggest trends that we see for the legal industry. I'm Phyllis Schuster. I am the... Executive Legal Managing Director, and the Chief Team Intelligence Officer for C-Jura. And I'm an attorney. And here's my partner, Genev.
1: Hello, Phyllis. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Genev Dubois. I'm C-A-M-I-O of c That's Chief Marketing and Innovation Officer. And I'm also a lawyer. And just like last week, we continue to have um, our very special guest, our good friend, and also our co-founder, Tony Alfonso, who is also a lawyer, to uh, be joining us today on, uh, on our podcast. Hi, Tony.
2: Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me again, Genev and Phyllis.
1: And maybe Tony, you want to just kind of like introduce yourself a little bit again, um, since in case a lot of listeners didn't join us last week.
2: Hey, Genev. Hey, Phyllis. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to join you guys on this fun journey of the Sajura podcast. Um, I'm Tony Alfonso. I am a partner at Reed Smith and a co-founder of Sajura. And and so Genev and Phyllis are my partners. Uh, My primary role at Sajura is in law firm relationships, which is why I'm a, an attorney with, an, with a global law firm and to help you know manage the cases for our clients that are suitable for a large law firm and um, to get them the help they need. So I'm excited to uh, join everybody and be part of
0: this conversation. I thought we'd start today by talking about what the biggest trends are. And I think what we're finding is that there's more options and there's greater flexibility for both attorneys and clients Genevieve, would you agree with that?
1: I think that at least that's what both attorneys and clients want, right? I don't think that we're quite there yet. And I think to, in today's world, the options is still, like we said last week, is pretty limited for both the clients and uh, attorneys. And for client's perspective, I think, Phyllis, you know, you and I have been talking about it for the last 10 episodes, but the last episode, really with Tony's, you know, joining us, we explored from the attorney's perspective, and I think that moving forward, the flexibility and more option is the key of how the legal industry is going to develop. And from the attorney's perspective, I think attorneys nowadays do want to have more balance of life. Last week, we mentioned that you pretty much want attorney to have to do everything. And therefore, when you go to on vacation, you really don't have a vacation. I think in a newer generation and even, you know, even an older generation wants to live differently. Um, I think the whole pandemic, you know, kind of wake a lot of people up and go, like, do I really want to live my life for the rest of my life like this work 24 hours a day? And there are other industries, you see a lot of contracting kind of jobs and gig work, they call gig work now. And to provide that kind of like, you know, flexibility and and balanced lifestyle that a lot of, I think, attorneys are envy of. And I think that is the trend that it can be moved forward. Tony, what do you think?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is the one thing that is probably, this in technology that are driving the changes in the legal industry the most. I do think this this trend of all attorneys, not only young ones, younger ones, um, wanting more option and flexibility in their lifestyle And um, it's going to be interesting to see. I do think they have, you know, obviously remote work and how it fits into law firms is a a huge topic of conversation of how that's really going to work out. I mean, I think most law firms now are are trending towards getting their attorneys to come back into the office at least a portion of the week, but you know how that's really going to happen in practice, I I think it's still to be seen. But I do think this. We all know, as being you know, current and former practicing attorneys, that this option flexibility is not consistent with the client's goals, <laughs> unfortunately, and it does create some type of conflict because at the end of the day, somebody's got to do the work. If the client wants the work done at in opportune time at a time when you know on the weekend at night. You know that somebody wants to have a boundary and not like be available during that time. It's really tough because the client—that's what they demand—and now we need to, you know, figure out somebody has to do that work. So it makes it even harder if the younger attorney is not going to be available. That even puts more pressure on more whoever's client it is to kind of get the work done. So I definitely see that as an issue going forward. That's going to definitely affect the legal industry.
1: And I think that tension—I I think Tony, you touch on a really important part of it is that tension is going to create a focus on pushing the legal industry in a different direction. So if you think about other industries, right, let's um, look at software industry. In the last 20, 30 years, software industry are evolving to standardization. Um, Clients talk to client relationship team and work is being done by some other people in the background. Um, and what we see in that industry, there's a lot of specialization going on. Um, in the legal industry, the legal expertise is already specialized. You know, you have real estate attorney down to you have leasing attorney, you know, purchase and sell attorney, tax attorney. But what has not been specialized, I think, in the legal industry is their roles. You know, we talked about last week, every one attorney have to do everything. I think in order to achieve that flexibility and still have consistency to for the services that provide to the client and meet the client 24 hours needs, it's really about the specializing responsibilities of different attorneys and work truly as a team. So instead of, like, for example, instead of having one associate have to respond immediately 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we can staff two associates, right? Two working attorneys who understand the similar, the the, the matter, the work. And one is for seven hours, the other one for another seven hours, that's totally 14 hours. Um, In a software industry, there's some people work four days, you know, um, through the weekend and somebody work on weekdays and not through the weekend. And then they interchange. So, and for clients that actually work Better because um, you get your work done and you get everything kind of coordinated. The client just want things to be done and to be done right. Um, so that I think the flexibility demands for flexibility for option will push um, kind of specialization, um, and and that's the trend that I think will push everything. And what do you think, Phyllis?
0: I think the other trend uh, you, you mentioned the software industry because I think this is where it's. Uh, in many ways started or continued, is outsourcing. So instead of looking at your one firm that you go to, for instance, for your legal services, that maybe what you'll consider is, well, is there an outsource possibility? Can we contract with that second or the third lawyer for part of a day? or for a speci- Even if it's not an ex- a specialty, it could just be routine work getting outsourced to make sure that the work is getting done. And the more routine we allow things to get by standardizing processes, even within the law, makes you better able to find third parties who could provide that service for a client so that both needs are met. The client's needs are met because their work is getting done, and the lawyer's needs are met because they're able to have better work-life balance. And the law firms don't have to have five extra lawyers that might not be needed to, you know every single day, this way, the third party can supply those extra services without the law firm having the economic burden of carrying all those people. so I think we 're going to see this combination of gig work or contracting work or whatever and, and third party outsourcing in the legal field as well
1: and what does that mean really you know Tony you think about for training purposes right i mean because we 're seeing that if you need to be more specialized in your roles and in, in your responsibilities as a lawyer instead of trying to do it all. If one attorney do it from beginning to the end, there's no standardization needed because I'm the only one doing it. I know how I work, right? The client know how I work. Now, if my role is now being split up to, let's say, five different people, different roles, then that consistency got to be there. So if you got to have consistency, you got to have standardization. And one part of standardization in processes, you know, how is one going to pass on to the other? How all this coordinate together? So you got to have standardization of coordination um, and, and how you communicate with clients. But the other thing is like, you also have to standardize how to train different attorneys at different roles, different professionals at different roles. Um, Tony, what do you think about the, the whole training aspect of it?
2: Yeah, I do think that law firms are becoming more and more focused on raising their level of training. That it's, you know, become a, a most senior lawyers don't have the time. They don't want to spend the time to take on that responsibility. That was usually the responsibility of, you know, you worked in a law firm, big or small, you had a, more work that you needed and then somehow you would, you know, you would, they would hire an associate that would be primarily dedicated to you that you can then train and you have responsibility for to make sure they get hours, make sure they get training. And I do think law firms are, are. Hugely moving away from that because I think it's now more associates being hired for a department, for a specific, you know, maybe an office, you know, to interact with a number of different partners to make sure that their, you know, plate is full and they're getting kind of a wide range of different people they're working with. But I think that puts the pressure on the law firms to standardize training, you know, to make it to where there's and technology with podcasts and, you know, webinars and things you can record. I do. Think it's a way that to, you know, effectively take the knowledge that a lot of the more senior lawyers have to bottle it up and package it up into easily easily digestible pieces to help attorneys that they can either reference or just you know view and reference as they go. Um, I remember we used to have to have big leasing books and big you know resources of doing purchase and sale agreements. That I think you know we can have more effective ways to have attorneys give their own practice notes and knowledge into you know into a a platform that can be accessed through technology that can help specialize your training for associates and make it more effective.
1: Yep. And all this is really back to, again, flexibility, right? If you have standardized training, now your associates can have flexibility uh, and options in terms of when they want to get trained, what they need to get trained at what level. Um, if they want more this type of work, then they got to get trained for that type of work. Versus now, um, if you think about apprenticeship, they really based on who they are learning it from and what that person's skill sets are. And maybe something you want to do, that person didn't even have the skill set. And it's really hard to find another master to fulfill your gap. Um, with standardized training, you can pick up different kind of skill set. Um, there are definitely challenges for that. We'll talk about it a little bit. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The the trend is, you know, flexibility creates the needs of specialization of roles, creates the standardization of processes and training. And the other flexibility the client is looking for is really the fee structure. Um, you know, we have a lot of clients at Cedrera that come to Cedrera because they wanted to understand whether there are, other ways that they can pay legal fees instead instead of just based on hours that the the, the attorney
0: spent on as we've talked about a little bit before in our prior podcast when we approach something at C-Jura, we have set up instead of looking at things as uh, billable hours in that regard we have set up a legal services plan for each client for each matter that we work on we try to break down into what the process is going to be and what's going to what the work is going to cover and we have worked with clients mostly on a fixed fee basis for each part of that process and only only for things that are outside the scope or if something comes up that's unexpected and an unexpected issue, might there be an issue that might be worked on on an hourly basis or even that unexpected matter could be worked on it for an additional fixed fee because our our goal has been to work with our clients to set reasonable budgets and so that they know what their legal services are going to cost them. And we have found that the clients are very welcoming to the concept of something outside of billable hours. So we know that that's in direct conflict to the way most lawyers today are billing their clients.
1: And Tony, wouldn't you agree? Like that is one thing that's really difficult. I think for legal industries, how to charge, right? It's a it's this constant struggle. The client you know, try to understand how to pay you, the lawyers and lawyers, like how do we charge for our costs and all that stuff? Do you see that in the big firms that you've been working with?
2: Yeah, it's it's a constant struggle. It's probably the biggest challenge. I mean, lawyers, you know, unfortunately, the other thing is like lawyers are lawyers. We're good at lawyering. We're not as good at always being the best business people in the world. Um, and and it's a different skill set. It's not what we've done school for, you know, kind of a thing. And it's not what we know as much. And and it's actually one of those things from the mentor, or the mentee. It's not always transferred. That when you get that responsibility and you start getting to the point where you're controlling the building process and being more face to face with the client and. And talking about the fees, um, you kind of have to fall into it. And the other thing is, like, what we do is kind of amorphous to like our clients. I don't really think they have a good idea of what we really do. They only know what we do when we talk to them, and they know, yeah, he he or she's doing some document and sending it out, and yeah, yeah, it's closing the transaction. But I really think it's kind of that. There's not a lot of transparency. And which I think also leads to the problem with the fees because when the client not really know what's getting, it doesn't really wanna pay for it necessarily. So I do think that's a problem. But the bigger thing is is that law firms on an economic scale want to just keep increasing their rates. And Regardless of the fact that they may not even be getting paid for every hour that a client works on anyway, because a client's not going to pay so much most times, and it's up to the law firm to decide whether that client's whatever the client's willing to pay, whether it's worth it. I mean, the billable hour is kind of like an artificial construct in a way that although that's what the law firm uses as metrics of judging like what their success is and how they want to charge the clients, there's no universal constant that's kind of like a billable hour. I mean, at the end of the day, it's revenue in the door and seeing how you're using the law you know your lawyers and how much you're paying them versus how much you know revenue you're bringing in. So, and I do think the trend that clients want to pay less per billable hour, and and not even probably even focus on billable hours in certain circumstances, and you know that law firms keep raising bill hours. I think that that contradiction, that clash is is causing a lot of stress in the industry. And I'll just say one more thing on this point. It's because I also think that clients are cost conscious. This gets in the way of providing legal services because now they don't necessarily, they may not want to get on a call. They may not want another attorney involved in the matter because it's going to cost this much more. And all they do when they talk to their lawyer is seeing like the meter running. If you picture like, the cartoon and it's just the money's going every time the lawyer's talking. And I think that's an injustice to our profession because we have a lot to offer clients and I think we have a lot of solutions. And it shouldn't, you know, ultimately it's us about serving the client. And I think if we get to a point where we understand what our value is, and they understand what our value is, and it has nothing necessarily related to the hours. It's our expertise and experience um, putting into the matter, I, and, and them paying for that, and them seeing that's what we're paying—that's what they're paying for. I do think that relieves some of the pressure, and that's kind of in my mind where at least I know I'm going <laughs> with my practice. I wouldn't say the rest of the legal industry, but I do think that clients appreciate that more.
1: And I think that's like why we, the three of us, created sejura right, um, is to try to find a different way of looking at a legal business and actually looking at it like a business and not just like a club or some, the client always feel like I can only work with one attorney and they do everything. Um, most businesses are run by departments, by teams, specialty roles. And that's what we're trying to do at sejura and really the people talk to the client, and design the legal services are the one that talking to the client about fees. And because, you know, on our team we are lawyers, we understand how lawyers work, which we talked to you guys about it today as well as the last episode. And those are everything that we experience as lawyers and we being squeezed or, you know, have understand what being a lawyer feels like. We also need to take care of lawyers, be make sure they're successful, but also connect that with clients' needs and how to run that business. So I think that's very important. I do think that is a trend as well, is how do you look at legal industry differently moving forward so that it is being run efficiently like a business.
0: Genev, what what do you see as the next trend and how are we handling that at Cedira?
1: I think that one of the areas that a lot of people talking about is technology. What is their legal technology? Where is legal technology going? And I do think that this is a great opportunity for us to be honest, have an honest conversation about legal technology. You know, we be in it with uh, Cijora with a, with a platform technology platform we call Soul Platform um, that we created for um, be solely is a technology based platform in addition to what CJOR provides, which are legal services and legal coordination, hiring, managing lawyers. And from a technology perspective, I think there's a tremendous amount of challenges and obstacles in the legal industry to adopt any new legal technology. Um, but before we dive into that, I just want to give you guys two uh, numbers and that this is done by Clio. And under their lawyer statistics for success in 2022 article written by Sharon Mickey, um, and they said firms using multiple technologies collected 40% more revenue per lawyer than firms that do not. The other thing they said that um, for solo law firms, like solo practitioners, um, if they adopt technology solutions, they will earn $50,000 more in revenue um, than if they don't on a yearly basis. So obviously there are statistics being collected, right, being analyzed that technology does help lawyers. Um, but maybe we can first talk about, you know, uh, what kind of technology today lawyers actually use on a daily, daily basis. Tony, do you want to take a step at that?
2: sure I would say uh, the the cornerstone for every lawyers uh, day is a healthy dose of emails <laughs> everywhere um, with various attachments and, and things uh, asking them to respond and handle various legal services so I think so there I, I would say like core technology would be like Microsoft Outlook or whatever email client they're using and then extended from there is is kind of' word pro we're processing whether it be You know, typically Microsoft Word or Google Docs. So you have the documents, and you have kind of the the communication. And then on the lawyer's back end, just from a practice standpoint, they usually have some kind of document management system, such as iManage, to collect and store all the documents. And that most of the firm can view your documents unless you make them private. So it's kind of like an internal document organizational um, platform. And I think that's kind of like where I think the basics are. I think some firms are a little bit more cutting edge, have some type of cloud based storage where they share some type of cloud storage with a client for the documents that they are producing for the client that the client can maybe look at so they don't have to save them on their own folder. But in my experience, I think that's kind of the extent of what they're doing. And layered on top of that is, you know, various types of data security that's supposed to be enacted, which quite frankly, I'm not really sure as always, you know, emails and emails are not really encrypted. You know, the attachments are not really encrypted. And I think that the reason they're not is because the barrier to the encryption and having every, all the recipients sign in and log into a specific platform to see the email is just like non-workable. Um, and nowadays, I mean, most lawyers, I don't choose to if the technology is there even don't want to enact it and i think from a standardization i ve- other than title insurance companies i don't i very rarely ever get any documents or emails that are encrypted that i have to view on my end so i think that's a that's a decent summary of where we're at today
1: that's a great summary that's, I would say, every single lawyer would be nodding their head. Yep, that's what we use, and and from a client's vi- view, it's like there's emails from from my attorneys. There's 50, 100 page word documents. You know, that's pretty much um, what they what they feel like. So, Phyllis, maybe you can dive in a little bit of what today's technology that lawyers uses, um, or they use that what kind of um, working environment that creates, chaos. I would say, it's chaos.
0: It, it's chaos. Uh, I think that's actually, Geneva. I think that's a perfect word to start with, because uh, th- this is what we see, you know, hundreds, thousands of emails. And, and in those emails, there's attachments, there's comments, there's whatever. And I, if I had a nickel for every person who said, could you send me that document that I sent you four years ago or two years ago? And like they can't find it. The client can't find it on their own system. They, re- they know they talk to me about it, but they can't find it. So then I have to go if I'm using the, you know, what I would say, traditional technology. I'm literally searching emails for things, trying to find them. And then, of course you know, the, this concept of it being a paperless world, you know, those emails have strings and documents and they go on for pages and pages and pages. You just can't find anything. So that chaos and not being able to find stuff, whether it's something the client told you or something you told the client, trying to find that, that's chaos. Trying to find the document or backup or information that you need to create a new document, that's chaos. And The current technology that people use it. searching the search functions don't work the way everybody would like them to do. Oh, if you could just perfectly search and press that magic button and you're going to pop up that you know you'll find that thing you were looking for like it was it's literally like a needle in a haystack. And I think lawyers spend their days and clients spend their days like searching for needles in haystacks. And it's just a lot of wasted time, a lot of wasted energy, a lot of frustration. For lawyers it's probably equals a lot of lost sleep too because you're like thinking, oh no, I I forgot this or I, I can't find that. And you know, and 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 we believe it or not, we do worry about those things for ourselves and for our clients. So I just think it's chaotic, Genev. And I think the mass of emails and the inability to find things is probably one of the biggest issues. And whenever I mention the fact that Sejura may be a, a place where we can organize and help clients be more efficient and and be able to run their businesses and lawyers run their businesses in a much more efficient manner. People like, yeah, yeah, I want to know what it is. So I I think that's always the quick reaction I get. Show me how I can do that.
1: And a lot of that is rooted from emails were never designed as a document storage and management system. Emails were created no different than text messaging that we use it today on our phone. And that's really to the limitation of of how email should be used. And if you're trying to use it as a storage space, a manage of your documents, that's where chaos comes in. I, and I think that a lot of lawyers can totally feel our pain. That what we describe, a lot of clients can feel it. So then, Tony, why? What have you heard from lawyers that why is so difficult for them to adopt technology? I mean, there are certain solutions out there. It's not like there's lack of total lack of solutions. It's not like this blank of technology. There are certain technology companies that produce some sort of legal solution uh, technology platform. Tony, why do you think that is so difficult for lawyers too?
2: Well, I think part of the problem is that. W- Using technology is sometimes just focused on the wrong thing. That is, it's about processes, not necessarily technology. And if fitting a technology into a process doesn't necessarily work, and and, in all the technology rollouts that law firms do, it's like a top down approach, like IT people, people in their Technology division that may or may not be lawyers, ex-lawyers may not know anything about, you know what their work daily workflow processes are. Regardless, forget about like you have a whole section of the firm that's litigation and one section that's more transactional that have kind of different needs. Um, then they pick a technology, they start trying to roll it out, beta test it with some of the lawyers, and it goes back to the billable hour and the focus. Right, no, lawyers get paid not for. You know, using technology effectively, they get paid by billing hours. And right now, they feel like I can send an email; it's off my plate. I don't care what happens. It may be totally inefficient. I mean, nobody's going to say like, "Do you love email?" And like, you know, nobody's going to tell you yes. Like, <laughs> like it should be pretty easy to supplant email as as it's being used today. Because I don't think anybody likes the number of emails they get. And then Now we're getting more text messages on top of emails. So not only having a bunch of text. Text emails. Now we have a bunch of text messages. Because I do believe email is like. I think Janelle's right. Email is like really just an extension of what a text message should be. But now, client, we get so many emails. We don't even check our emails. So now clients text us on our phones, which is becoming double chaos, right? If there's such a thing, so so it's. You know, going back to why look So to get, it's like turning a battleship to get a lawyer who's not focused on their process. That's just what they do every day. They may mm-hmm. or may not have ever like looked at first principles and thought about, hmm, is there a reason why I do things this way? Right? They know they just do it repetitive. You know, rinse r- with wash rinse, repeat every day. Like, spit a bunch of emails, build some hours. That's how like the the, the machine keeps rolling, and nobody's taking the time to sit down and think about well. Maybe what I did, you know, five years ago with technology today and with what's going on and what our clients need, maybe that needs to change. You know, maybe I need to change how I deliver my legal services. Cause in the end, that's you know, that's what I'm doing. And but nobody's incentivized to do that. And until other things start taking over that, because the legal technology itself is not gonna take over anything, right? That's just a tool for lawyers. So until law firms and lawyers really understand that, look, you know, we're on inflection point in our our, our, our our industry, right? You know, it's like we have remote working now, we have all these things that are forces that are at play, kind of chaotic things going on. We need to get control of the one thing we can control, and that's how we provide our legal services. That's the only thing a law firm can really control. And, and using technology in a smart way, on top of that kind of innovative thinking of first principles, let's think about what we're really doing, what we're trying to do, and how the best way to do it I think is the only way to kind of like change lawyers perspective and get them to kind of look at looking at adopting a new way of doing things that get away from email because email that's like the primary my primary goal in life is to figure out how to get away from email and obviously using so is is, is is one way to do it but using a platforms that you can you know having different types of communication streams other than just sending emails with you know word documents is definitely the future because nobody wants to be getting a thousand emails a day anymore
1: yeah exactly I think you summarize it really really well Um you know, Phyllis, if you recall one time we saw a comment from um, a bunch of attorneys talking about ad- adopting te- legal technology. What was one that, you know, you and I really looked at and go, wow, do you remember what, what, she, what that person said? Really, the lawyer said why it's so hard for them, um, not just her, but, you know, like a bunch of them said it's really hard for them to adopt legal technology.
0: I think the biggest reason was because they couldn't bill for their time and they couldn't stop. They couldn't bill for the time to learn it. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't uh, build the client for the cost to implement it, and I think one of the other points was by the time the law firms got around to putting in new technology, there was some better technology already out there because it took so long for the firm to approve the new technology and even just to roll it out. So for all of those reasons, is like I'm never going to do that. That's not me. I mean, this is what the person says. We're not, we're not going to do it. I can't bill for it. I can't recover it. Why? Why should I?
2: One other point, real quickly, if I can, you know, also nobody. wants wants to be the first one, right? When you're in the law firm, like there's a certain fluidity to going with the flow, right? It's like, everybody does this. This is kind of like our best practice by default, I guess. And, you know, it's really hard for one person to take it on themselves to say, I'm going to put this time in. I'm going to, I'm going to, this is what my, what my goal is from technology. I'll give up some billable hours. I'll make this investment. And, you know, I, I, I don't think that there's a real incentive for people sticking their head out in that way. And I think that does result in kind of status quo. That's why change doesn't happen until, you know, something really bad happens and then people really have to change. Right.
1: And the, the other thing is that lawyers is very risk averse, you know, like you said, and they don't want to be the first one to change. But what if they change it? Now they're taking a risk and something went wrong, and they go like, well, they'd be blamed on. So it's totally understandable, you know, everything that we describe here, why legal technology is so difficult to be adopted by law firms and lawyers. And everything we discussed last week and this week combined together is really the reason. And so at Cedrura, what we are focusing on developing legal solutions is focusing on three parts. Um, most importantly is processes. You know if you look at banks and look at financial institution, they've been focusing on their processes since the 70s and how to apply technology to those processes. Where legal industry haven't had that need, and really now there is a need uh, moving forward with you know all the trends we've been talking about. Um, You do need a technology platform to bring all the pieces together. But how do you develop something that can be used by lawyers and clients is really about to drive with a very useful processes for clients and lawyers together. Um, So that's one piece of it. The other thing is developing technology actually easy to learn. And useful. Usefulness is very imp- important. It's applicable for the clients. We're very, very client-driven in terms of developing the technology. Um, the reason is if the client understands how to use a legal solution based on technology, now they are in control of legal process of the legal services. And if the clients require and they're requesting their attorneys to use that process, and the clients are the ones that paying the bills, paying the hours, then the attorneys would have to, you know, follow the, the right process that, um, that the client is requesting. Now, client by themselves is not going to be able to know what to request because they're not lawyers, um, so that is the bridge that really, I think moving forward uh, with Sejura kind of platform, be able to lead the industry um, and, and really be able to to be in need. And like Phyllis said, that we're focusing on, you know, communication, um, really managing, be transparent of, of all the legal tasks and legal work, who is doing what, um, as well as the efficiency of preparing those documents. And that's where, you know, what we are focusing on, but really the the technology part of it, eventually, um, sooner or later, it is the future of all the industries. You like it or not. So before we close, um, maybe you know we just go around and and each of us can say you know what's the major obstacle in the legal industry that you see, and what's the most positive thing that you feel like. In the development of the legal industry,
0: I think probably for me is just change is very difficult. I think I think the biggest obstacle in my mind is people's inability to to think change is good. Uh, change is scary. Change change gives people like feeling of like not being in control. And what they're not seeing is that change can also bring a lot of opportunity and a lot of. Uh, new things that can make people's lives better. So I think I think that's a big obstacle. There's that change has this, you know, inherent scariness to it. So I think that's and lawyers, you know, are afraid of change and clients, you know, are trying to push for change but they don't know. So I think I think that's for me I think uh, that fear of change is, is 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 I think one of the major obstacles.
2: I agree 100% with Phyllis, um, but I do think Probably the most structural obstacle is the billable hour. I think the economic model, it's not the billable hour per se, but it's the economic model of law firms to put the focus of gaining like a a tangible return of money on every hour a lawyer spends in a day is not the right way to run business. That there has to be a different kind of mix to allow not only lawyers that have different skill sets to be able to express themselves creatively in a way that brings real value to law firm's business but to really think about how we want to practice law as as lawyers and how how we want to collaborate as you know with as a, a members of a firm to be able to really think about how to provide our clients with the best services possible and everybody talks about that in a way but we all, a lot of us, you know, if lawyers are honest with each other, you know, we're we're all sitting down and billing hours. And the and the in your one of your listeners comment about how they don't do this is because it's not billable. It's it's totally true. So I do think the billable hour and changing economic structure to incentivize lawyers that have creativity. Maybe there are some lawyers that should just focus on billing time because that's what they're good at. They maybe have a super specialty. They get a lot of hours. But there also is a lot of room for younger people, experienced attorneys, to think about how we can provide legal services in a better way and how to use technology and innovate to to just change the industry for the better for clients and for the lawyers.
1: Yep. And uh, I would say the major obstacle in the legal industry is there is this visible gap between the understanding what the clients understand of legal services where versus what lawyers, how lawyers provide legal services. And that gap, you know, I think Phyllis and I um, explored that in the first 10 episode, And, you know, with Tony joining us, last one and this one, we kind of like feeling some of the insights, you can see where those gaps created. And that is a constant struggle. You know, how do you um, narrow that gap as much as possible and that's something that you know Sigura is really trying to achieve, you know, through the products that we create, through the services and the technology, including the the podcast that you know we are, we are creating and as well we will continue to create. And with that, I think that um, just wanted to tell you guys um, this is the last episode for this year, two thousand and twenty-two. And we'll pick it back up in January. And that's why we did this two episodes a little bit different because in the past it was one, you know, one uh, week we we'll would do it for clients and next week we we'll would do it for lawyers. And this time we kind of explore extensively the, the topic of legal industry past now and now we talked about the future trends. Um, we're very happy to have Tony uh, join us on a special treat and next year he will join us as m- much as he, he's, his time allows. Um, so it's, it's really been a pleasure um, to provide podcast to you guys. And uh, we don't talk.
0: Happy uh, holidays and happy new year. And join us next time on C.J.U.R.A. Decoding Law. Thank you for listening to C.J.U.R.A. Decoding Law today. Next week, we will be discussing a new topic from clients' perspective. All lawyers are welcome to join us as well. At Sejura, we are reimagining legal services with innovative technology and processes. Visit us at sejuragroup.com. If you know anyone that may be interested in decoding the secrecy about legal services, please forward our podcast to them. See you next time.